Y'all are lucky because Mr. Joe gave it away. I was going to quiz y'all and see if y'all could tell me what book we're in tonight, but y'all should thank Mr. Joe after the service for giving that away. Um, <clears throat> so tonight we're continuing the study, our Emmaus Road study. Can anybody tell me what scripture the Emmaus Road idea comes from, where, where we see the Emmaus Road in scripture? Anybody remember that? We go over Nobody remembers. Wow. Nope. Not Acts. Definitely Luke. Emmaus 1 1. Yes, it's Emmaus 1 1. Luke 24. Luke 24. We're not going to turn there. We're not going to read it. Um, we're just going to kind of review what ha- Does anybody know what happens in Luke 24? Okay. No? Yes? No? Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Okay, so there were two men having a conversation about Jesus appeared to them. He said, What are you talking about? They told him. They said, You know, what are you new? You hadn't heard, you know? And uh, they, talk, they tell him what's going on. They're on their way to Emmaus, you know, and Jesus, as, as Logan said, he starts with Moses and the prophets, and he tells them all about him. Uh, himself, Jesus uses the Old Testament to show them promises and foreshadowing of Himself and His mission. So that's where that's where we get for those who didn't remember, which is everyone, and those who are new tonight. First Chronicles, First Chronicles has chapters. The First Chronicles. Um, that's not a set in stone thing. Um, Typically, to stay on the safe side, people talk about uh, Chronicles in, in terms of the Chronicler wrote it. When they say in the book, they say the Chronicler. They don't use it, I guess, just to be safe. Um, much like Kings and Samuel that we read before, um, Chronicles was originally one book that's been broken into two different books. So you have First Chronicles this week. Mr. Heath will be doing Second Chronicles next week. Um, so, so this is this is similar. It's similar but it's, it's similar in that way. Uh, Martin Luther called it the chronicle of the entire sacred history. So it's a history book, right? It's one, it's one of the history books. It ranges from Adam through the return from exile in Babylon. So there's lots of use in this book of, of the book of Kings, and uh, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel. It reflects back to that. Um, so getting right into it, the first nine chapters of First Chronicles are genealogies. Who knows what a genealogy is? So, um, the, the exact definition is descent traced continuously from an ancestor. So, how many of you have ever been somewhere you heard kind of the old folks sitting around talking about other people in the family, you know, maybe a grandfather or a parent, talking about, you know, well, so-and-so, you know, married so-and-so, and then they had so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and then they all, this one had this kid. Okay, so you've all heard that kind of happen. Um, when they do that, where do they typically start? If you compiled a, like a family tree and you were going to explain it to me, where would you start with that family tree? You start with the first. Somebody that has their Bible open to First Chronicles, um, what's the very first word in chapter 1, verse 1? Adam. Adam is the first word. What is Adam? 
the first person that, that God made. So, um, so we see genealogies. Um, this line this line goes all the way from Adam, but and and so we see a bunch of a bunch of familiar names here in in these genealogies. Names like. Right? We've heard of Abraham, right? He's a, he's a um, we get in, we get to the genealogy the genealogy of David. We see uh, the sons of Jacob, seven from Judah, and the descendants. We see Boaz, who comes through the line of Judah, and who fathered Obed, who fathered Jesse, who fathered David. Um, we see in chapter 3, we see the descendants of David, and we see Solomon's name mentioned there, who we'll get into a little bit later. Um, chapters 4 through 7, we see the descendants of Judah and Simeon and the, and the rest of the ten tribes of Israel. Chapter 8, we see the genealogy of King Saul, who's the king now at, at the time of our story uh, here. And in chapter 9, we see the, the genealogy kind of come to an end. Verse after exile now, okay? So God said, captivity in Babylon because of rebellion, apostasy, breaking of covenant. They violated the covenant and broke faith with God, and he punished them. Out of faithfulness to his promise to Abraham and David, he preserved a seed. There is to be a king that shall rule on the throne of David forever. So there had to be a people from whom this king would come. Okay? So there still had to be a remnant. There still had to be a seed, a, a, a line uh, from where this king um, and the land at this point in time is being repopulated. It's being, um, it's, 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 he's kind of, he's kind of killed off a lot of people, so they're kind of rebuilding um, families. Um, more difficult for them now um, than it was. The temple's going to be built, but it's going to be a disappointment and demonstrate his faithfulness for the revelation of his son Jesus, who's going to establish a kingdom that will dominate the earth. Okay? All right, so chapter 10. <clears throat> chapter 10, as I said, Saul is still the king. Okay, so Saul is still the king for now. Somebody read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 10. Okay, so we see the demise of Saul here. Um, we see, see that he died in battle. Um, he asked the armor bearer after his sons were killed, and he realized he was, he was going to lose this battle. He, he, he asked his armor bearer to kill him. 
Uh, the armor bearer wouldn't do it out of fear, so he killed himself. He fell on his own sword, and the armor bearers did the same. Um, so we see, we see the, the end of Saul's reign here. Verses thir- somebody read verses 13 and 14 of that same. Go ahead, Emma. Okay, so Saul died because of his breaking of faith with God. He was unfaithful. Saul Saul was killed and turned over, and the kingdom was turned over to David, um, as we're going to see in chapter 11. Um, Saul and David both got what was promised, okay? This is part of God's promise. David was promised the kingdom, and Saul's kingdom was promised to be taken away. He wasn't a man of faith. If y'all remember several weeks ago... um, if you, for those who are in Sunday school, uh, Mr. Heath, we were talking about Saul as a king. We were asking the question, was Saul a godly king? Was Saul, you know, now we know, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, a little bit more, Saul, Saul was a sinful king. All the kings were sinful. They all sinned, right? They all fell short. But was Saul a godly king? Was Saul a man of God? And I believe when we had that discussion, we came to the conclusion that he was not uh, a man of God. So we see him, uh, we see him throughout throughout all the stories of his king of his kingship. Um, he wasn't a man of faith. He did not continue in obedience to God. He was wise in his own eyes. See the story of the, of the Amalekites. Does anybody remember what happened with Saul and the Amalekites? Anybody? I'm going to take a guess. Saul was told to wipe out the Amalekites, kill them all. Don't leave one. Don't leave one baby. Don't leave one woman. Don't leave one man. Don't leave one cow. Wipe out all the Amalekites. Okay? So Saul goes in and he kills who he wants to in the Amalekites. He kills, he, he lets some of them live. He doesn't wipe them out as he was commanded. So he's disobedient to God in, in that. Um, he sought mediums and witches. Who knows what a medium is? Yeah, like a psychic. So like a psychic or a palm reader or something. So these are things that Saul did. Rather than seek guidance from God, he sought mediums. He sought witches. He sought people who would tell him his future, so to speak. Um, so he didn't seek guidance from God. He was a man consumed with his own carnality. Who knows what carnality means? Who knows what it means to be carnal? Human? Human? Sort of worldly. Worldly is kind of the, 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 the summation of that word. Worldly or earthly or temporal. Um, and he's eventually destroyed for, for, this, for these reasons. <clears throat> Those who do not seek and follow the Lord are going to come to their own terrible ends. Not only their end on earth, but their end... Thank you, Keith. But their end... Um, their eternity apart from God, apart from God um, suffering his wrath. All right, chapter 11, David takes over as king. Um, eventually he takes over Jerusalem. That's going to become David's uh, capital city. Um, 
He's going to take that over from the Jebusites. Then we see, we see in chapter 11, David's, it's, it's titled here, David's Mighty Men. Okay? David puts together, he begins putting together an army. Um, he develops an army of faithful, who are faithful to him and faithful to God. Um, chapter 12, continuing on, David organizes his army. Okay? So he begins organizing an army. Um, and then in chapter 13, it gets kind of interesting, if it already wasn't. First, I want to ask you before we get into chapter 13, what does the ark represent? God's presence. The visible symbol of God's presence. Now, Saul didn't have anything to do with the ark. He didn't care for the ark. He didn't care for the ark. Translating into, he didn't care much for God. Okay? Again, Saul was not... Somebody flip to Exodus 25 and read verses 12 through 15. Emma? And somebody flip to Numbers 4.15 and be ready when I call on you. Lydia. The ark, but the ark was very important to David. So whenever you get there, Emma. Exodus Acacia. So these holy things, <clears throat> excuse me, if they were touched by sinful hands, the person who touched them would die. So in chapter 13, we see David preparing the Ark of the Covenant to come to Jerusalem. We see, and somebody take, in chapter 13, somebody read verses 5 through 14. 
Anybody want to read that? Okay, so we see two big mistakes here, right? Two, two things that happened that shouldn't have happened. We just read two different verses of Scripture that talked about these things. What's the first? What's the first thing they did wrong? Huh? That was the second. What was the first? Right. How did they move it? They moved it with a cart, with an ox pulling it, right? Okay. So what was wrong with that? What we just read, go ahead. With poles, with poles through the rings, right? So we've got two things they messed up here. I have a question. Were they ignorant or were they disobedient? Now who knows what ignorant is? Ignorant not in the terms of being a jerk and calling someone ignorant. What is ignorant? You just don't know. You just have no idea. So were they ignorant or were they disobedient? Disobedient, why? Because they knew. They knew better. They knew how they were supposed to move this ark. What did they do? Well, I'll just do it my way. I'll do it my way. So, as it gets struck down, um, you know, they said, God told us how we should do this. He told us what would happen with the ark, but now we're going to do it our way. So then David is surprised. They were to move the ark on poles, but they moved it on a cart. The ox stumbled as for the right reason. They set themselves up for failure by moving it the wrong way. Then Uzzah presumed that he should touch the ark, though, can go, though commanded not to do so. And, and Numbers said, clearly, touch these things, you will die. Well, um, does that sound like a thing in Scripture? 
if you, you're going to die. Right. If you eat of this, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. We see there the garden, the serpent, Adam and Eve. There wasn't no serpent here. There was just the human heart, right? And what, is, what does the Bible tell us about the human heart? Deceitful and wicked. Very good. Um, so again, he thought, Uzzah thought it was better for his, for his sinful hands to touch this heart to obey God. Um, again, his intentions were good, but his actions were bad, and it cost him his life. So David was angry, and it says here, because Uzzah was struck down. But think about this. We've just talked about in verses, uh, verse 8, 7 or 8, in there. Um, yeah, verse 8. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. Have you ever been really excited about something that was coming up? Something happened to derail that plan. Just, just you're just like ecstatic. This is this is coming. I remember when 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 I'm a big college football fan. I remember when COVID hit, and they were like, "Well, there may not be a college football season." I was like, "Man, come on!" You know, that's the closest thing I guess I have to that. But surely y'all y'all, y'all get where I'm coming from. Um, so we see we see David angry because his plans were derailed. Okay. But we also see him scared. Okay, why is he scared? Why is he scared? He didn't mess up. Right? The holiness of God demands what? For sin. Huh? Perfection. But what if, if, if you sin, what does God's holiness demand? Punishment. There has to be punishment. Right? Um... Let's see here. Okay. Um, We should fear a holy God. He feared a holy God. We should fear a holy God. In his holiness, all sin must be dealt with. Um, And the holy demands of God were fulfilled only in Christ. They couldn't be fulfilled in us or by Moses or David, but only by the blood of Jesus. God is holy and he calls us to be holy. And God's statement to David and his nation is that he is holy and he dwells in their midst. So we see David leave the ark at Obed-Edom, and the folks there were blessed because of it. Again, David knows he's messed up, okay? So what do we see David do there, there at the end? David didn't take the ark home. He asked, he asked God, how do, I, how do I bring the ark home to me? We see David over and over. He messes up, then he comes back, and he's, he's repentant. You know what I mean? Um... All right, so moving forward, chapter 14, we see, we, we see David's wife and children. Um, we see David fight the Philistines. Now, we've already seen the Philistines once. What did they do? Huh? What? Okay. They, they defeated Saul's army, and then Saul killed himself, right? So we see the Philistines again, and David um, defeats them, not once, but twice, and both times we see David inquire of God, hey, you know, will you, will you hand them over to me? The Philistines were powerful, okay? So, so he's asking God, hey, if I go fight them, you know, are you going to hand them over into my hands? And God promises in both times that he will. So then verse 15, um, we see the ark brought to Jerusalem. And I 
want somebody to read verses 11 through 15. Chapter 15, verses 11 through 15. Casey? Yeah, chapter 15 of First Chronicles, uh, 11 through 15. So we see the ark brought to Jerusalem finally, right? What do we see that's different here? They carried it on poles. What else? There's something else that's a little bit different here. The way that Moses commanded. But what we see, what we saw in, in chapter 13, verses 14, go ahead. Okay. They consecrated themselves. There was a, there was a, there was a, a more strict, I guess you would say, selection of who was going to carry this this the ark and then they did it the right way on the poles on the shoulders like they were told to do um so so david learned from his mistake here now at the end of chapter 15 it says as the ark of the covenant of the lord came to the city of david michael the daughter of saul looked out of the window and saw king david dancing and celebrating and she despised him in her heart I want somebody to turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20 through 23. 2 Samuel 6, 20 through 23. Emma. This gives a little bit better explanation of what we see here at the end of this chapter. <clears throat> I want us to see that. Because basically we see Michael, the daughter of Saul. But we don't know who she is, right? Unless we... No, we're fixing to read here. Um, go ahead, Emma, you got it? Contemptible.
Okay. So what it doesn't tell us in either of these places is she's also David's wife. Okay. Michael is also David's wife. And she basically pitches doesn't like the fact that they're celebrating that the ark is coming. Um, and she's laid, she's made to be barren um, because, of, because of her attitude. Alright, so chapter 16, we see the, the, the ark's in, in, in Jerusalem. The ark arrives and is placed in a tent. At the, end of the cha- at the end of the chapter, we see David's song of celebration. We see worship before the ark. And we see um, David thanking God for the arrival of the ark. Again, David was, the, the ark was very important to David. Now, chapter 17 is where we see what's called the Davidic covenant. And I know we've been over this in, in previous studies. Um, but we see in, ver- in verses 1 through 15, and I'm going to read them, um, we're going to see the writer's account of the, David, of the covenant with David and his descendants. It says, uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says, Now when David lived in his house, David and the prophet well, in the house of cedar, but the Lord is under a tent. He said to David, do, the, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to, came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in, for I have not lived in a house since the day I, bought, I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved, with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more. So, shall, yes, shall waste them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this, with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So this is the covenant made by God with David. This is the writer's account of it. God's pro- God promises David that his descendants will always rule over Israel. The individual kings are going to fall. They're going to come. They're going to go. They're going to fail. Um, But the line of David will never be rejected from the throne. The New Testament reveals that the promises to David are fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the only one who kept the conditions of the covenant perfectly. Somebody turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 4 through 16. Hebrews 4, Lydia.
14 through 16. Got it? <laughs> nope. Hebrews 4, verses 4 through 16. 14 through 16. Okay, so again, we have a high priest who kept the covenant perfectly, who didn't sin. Um, we see here, back in our scripture, a display of God's faithfulness, love, and sovereign choice that David would be the head of a royal line that would extend all the way to Jesus. Um, David has a desire to honor God, and he wanted to build a temple for him. However, Nathan, uh, God had different plans. And we see God telling Nathan, after, after he's encouraged um, David, we see God telling Nathan, um, uh, you, you know, that he's not going to. David's not going to be the one building the the um, the temple. Um, it's funny uh, to me. Nathan here is is very bold and faithful in speaking with David. Has that ever happened elsewhere in Scripture? Anybody know where else that may have happened in Scripture? Anybody know the story of David and Bathsheba? Y'all have heard that story? So I don't have to explain that. Guess who confronted David with that sin? Nathan. So I'm going to take a sidebar here. And I'm going to give you a little advice. You should all have a friend that will tell you the truth and speak boldly to you. Okay? That's the kind of... You should have more than one. You should have at least one who will tell you the truth no matter what. If it's going to hurt your feelings, no matter what's going to happen. That's just a little life advice for you. Free, you don't have to pay for that. Um, but Nathan delivers this news um, to David that he's not going to be the one to build the temple. God's going to build a house, but it's going to be a different kind of house. It's going to be the royal line of David. Solomon is throne, and he's going to sin, and he's going to infect the kingdom. He's going to mess up. Um, it's going to be disastrous. That sin is not going to negate the promise. That sin is not going to change this covenant. This is an unconditional covenant. God's going to raise up a descendant that's ultimately going to rule forever. And that is fulfilled in Christ as a legitimate heir to the throne of David. Suffer, die, and enact a new covenant. A new covenant king. Perfect king of our need for perfect king. Okay? All right. Moving right along, chapters 18 through 20, we see David, um, David's A lot of this is similar to Samuel. 
David established necessary for the temple construction when Solomon comes when it's time for Solomon to build it. We also see a background of, of David's material contributions to the construction. We see that we're, it's first mentioned that David is, is dis, being disqualified, has been disqualified from building the, the temple because of warfare. Um, and we see the Philistines again, but this time it mentions them as the giants of Philistine of the Philistines. And David defeats them again. And included in this, and I thought this was really cool, included in here was Goliath's brother. Not Goliath, because he's dead. Um, but Goliath's brother uh, was in with these giants of the Philistines, and I just thought that was kind of a, a cool little fact there. Um, so chapter 21, we see, um, we see Satan call David to number the people. We see, we see a census, okay? And David didn't, uh, God didn't want a census, but there was some sin that needed to be dealt with. So while God doesn't tempt people to sin, He does allow it. He does instruments to do so. So here, we see, we see it says, Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number, the, number Israel, to number the people. Um, in 1 Samuel 24, it says God moved David to do the census. So I think that was pretty interesting. Um, while Satan is the instrument here, God is still sovereign over Satan. Okay, Satan can only do what God determines that he can do. God determines that there's sin in Israel that needs to be punished, and he uses Satan to lead David down a path to do a census. David is then punished for his rebellion against God. Once again, as we talked about, as I talked about earlier, sin and leadership affects the people that are being led. David's sin was the cause of 70,000 people, 70,000 men. But then we see something in David, right? We see something in David. We see him repenting of his sin. He intercedes for his people. Um, so David, as the king, was very concerned about his sin. As the perfect king, Jesus doesn't have to worry about that, right? Jesus never sinned. He doesn't have to worry about that. <clears throat> so in verses 14 through 17, chapter 21, it says, So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw, and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, It is enough. Now stay your hand, and the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched, stretched out over Jerusalem. And David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces, and David said to God, Was it not I who gave command to number the people? It is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord my God, be against me and against my father's house, but do not let the plague be on your people. So again, we see David repenting. David saying, hey, they didn't do anything. This is my fault. Um, but he still fell short. He still fell short. He could not atone for their sins like Jesus has. We see a foreshadowing of Jesus and David. Um, but we don't see a perfect intercessor. We don't see a perfect mediator 
and we don't see a perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the only perfect intercessor. Jesus is the only perfect sacrifice, and Jesus is the only perfect mediator. David was a good king. He was called a man after God's own heart, but Jesus is a greater David. So in chapter 22, David begins to acquire materials for the temple. <clears throat> um, he's obviously disappointed that he's not going to be the one to build it, but Solomon is, is charged to build the temple, the physical temple. Um, David, in chapters 23 and 24, he begins organizing priests and Levites for the temple. He begins organizing, in chapter 25, musicians who are going to lead the worship in the temple. <clears throat> he begins, in chapter 26, organizing gatekeepers. And in 27, we see a military divisions, leaders of tribes, leading us to chapter 28. In chapter 28, we see David getting close to the end of his life. Um, he has a great assembly of people before him. He announces that he's not the one who's going to build the temple due to, due to bloodshed and war, but that Solomon is going to be the one to build it. However, David has made all these preparations for the temple. This is really important to David. If we, if we've got chapter after chapter after chapter of David making preparations for this temple. A temple he's not even going to get to build, the physical one. Um, but God, uh, let's see, David made, God had sovereignly chosen Judah, Jesse, David, and now Solomon as king. God has chosen this family as the line from which Jesus will come. He tells them that this is God's plan, not his. Solomon's challenge here is to seek God. And then David warns Solomon about God's punishment upon rebellion. Um, this is a reminder. Here we see a reminder of God's covenant with David. Um, God's sovereign choice, the building of a physical house, but, it, but even greater, a spiritual house that's going to be built. Chapter 29, we see um, offerings being prepared for the temple. David, uh, David begins pr praying uh, regarding God's faithfulness. We see the anointing of um, Solomon as king. We're reminded of David's history. Um, his 40-year his 40 reign, primarily in Jerusalem. And we see at the end there that David dies a good death. He was, it says here, he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. So that would be considered a good death, okay? While his death was good, um, it's still a death, okay? We're all, this is something we're all going to face. We're all going to face death. We live under the curse that came from Adam back in the garden. Death was brought upon Adam, and all the descendants of Adam are to suffer for that. But, but we anticipate a king, a king who is not dead, a king who died but rose, a king who is the greater Adam, and as I said earlier, the greater David. David, again, was a good king, but he was human. Our ultimate king is a king who lives to rule and reign forever and intercede for us and has atoned for our sins. Chronicles was written to encourage the people in the rebuilding of the temple. The true temple was never about a physical building. God didn't need them to build a building for him. This temple was a foreshadowing of the true temple that would come from the womb of Mary, that being Jesus. <clears throat> so, did Solomon... 
do you think, and I'm not trying to ruin anything for Mr. Heath, did Solomon follow his father's counsel? Did he use his blessings correctly? God highly exalted Solomon before all of Israel when he was anointed king. Was God's promise to David fulfilled in Solomon? And that is a question. Was God's promise to David fulfilled in Solomon? No, it wasn't. Um, was God's promise to David about his descendants ever fulfilled? Yes, in Christ. <clears throat> the genealogies in Matthew and Luke all recognize Jesus as the son of David. Many places in the New Testament point to the fulfillment of the promise to David in Christ. We find here also a promise for us. God's promise to David all those years ago was a promise that involves us. God's concern for His own people involved Him making a people for Himself. God always meant the rulers that He raised up to be a blessing to His people. That promise to always have a son of David on the throne didn't mean that the earthly throne of Israel. One of David's sons has been called to be a king, the king of all kings, Jesus Christ, Lord of all lords, who came for the sake of God's people for our blessing and benefit. We have sinned and rebelled against God. But He has come, and in Christ, he, he lived a perfect life on the cross. He took on the sufferings due, due to us as punishment to sinners. He, called us, he calls us to turn from our sins and turn to Him. We have the promise of a restored relationship with God through the Son of David, Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. Dear God, <clears throat> we just thank You for this time. I thank You for these students. I thank You for this opportunity to stand up here and to to teach your word. I pray, Lord, that um, as we leave here, that this word would be on our hearts and on our minds, that we would understand that as we see all these kings and all these people in Scripture who failed, that your son Jesus did not fail. He has not failed. And he will not fail. Lord, one day he's coming back. Thank you for the Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's been any confusion tonight, if there's been anything said incorrectly, um, that it will be corrected. Anything that's not understood, that, that if it be your will, again, we just thank you for everything you do for us. In Christ's name we pray.